Welcome to the Urban Uncovered Show, where it's my job to be interviewing pioneering scientists and authors teasing out some of their most fascinating work. My name is Ayata Urbain, a cognitive and clinical neuroscience student and the host of this podcast show. I'm inspired and excited to interview Dr. Michael Ashby, that is A-S-H-B-I, PhD. He's a senior lecturer at the School of Physiology, Pharmacology, and Neuroscience at the University of Bristol. In this episode, we dive deep into an incredible conversation exploring neuroplasticity, the science of changing your brain, and how internal and external factors affect the brain throughout the lifespan. Dr. Ashby, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, fantastic. So um, may you please tell us um, exactly uh, what, what is it you do currently in your research and what was your ambition behind pursuing it? So my uh, lab, which is in the University of Bristol, works predominantly on when the brain is changing. Um, and that's a process we call plasticity. So we're very interested in this plasticity process, which happens all the time in your brain. Mm. Um, and we want to understand how your brain uh, is able to undergo this kind of changes which underpin its function throughout its life. And a lot of the work that we do focuses on how the brain changes, um, particularly early in life when the changes in the brain are, are re really very dramatic. All right, fantastic. So um, you mentioned plasticity here. Can we just begin by examining, you know, the big picture questions, which is, you know, what is plasticity, neuroplasticity? So in basic terms, we can think of plasticity as the ability to undergo a change. Mm -hmm. um, and in context of the brain, that means perhaps changes in the function. So you might consider behavioral neuroplasticity, mm. so a change in behavior. But it also goes down to finer levels to think about the circuits in the, in the brain, those uh, cells which connect together to make up the brain circuitry and how un they undergo change. And then we could go even deeper into the brain, think, well, what changes at the level of the synapses or the connections between those nerve cells in the brain and the plasticity that goes there. And a lot of my work sort of tries to span these different scales, but a lot of the work which is done in um, many neuroplasticity labs yes. works on the idea that the fundamental unit of change for plasticity might be at the level of those synapses and how those are changing over time. and perhaps triggered by experiences, for example. Interesting. So neuroplasticity is basically the brain's uh, ability to reorganize and repair, repair itself by forming new neural connections throughout life. And what I got from what you said is that passive experience will uh, shape our brains um, in a way, whereas, you know, chemicals slow things around um, and, uh, you know, the way neurons are arranged do influence uh, how pl the degree of plasticity in our brain. Yeah, that's right. That's interesting you, you say the, the word repair there, because plasticity can happen in response to something where the brain is damaged or, or the brain gets an insult and you can mm. get a recovery through functional neuroplasticity. But it also happens to everyday things that are happening. So when you form a memory or when a child learns the new word, you know, these things which are triggering experiences are actually triggering things which are changing in the brain and probably at the level of synapses or cells in the brain which leave a kind of indelible little trace in your brain which 
then allows you to use that information again. So for the child, maybe it's to be able to recall that word again and use it next、mm. time in a sentence. Wow. So yeah.、Uh, so touching on you know、um, even damage to the brain, or you, we can say maybe d- deprivation of input is、uh, has been one of the earliest demonstrations of how you know environmental factors and internal factors do influence our you know the degree of neuroplasticity in our brain. So how would you really describe the mechanisms of neuroplasticity in brief terms? Yeah. So one of the major ways that we understand. Plasticity can be triggered is, as you say,、mm. changes in experience, and the most ex- most dramatic changes in experience are perhaps a deprivation of experience, where you know there's a sensory deprivation、uh, coming into the the person or the animal, perhaps if it's in an experiment, and、uh, that will alter the way that their brain perceives future experiences, and the mechanisms there. As you can imagine, must link the experience, which is an outside thing coming into the brain,、mm. with some changes which are inside the brain, and that usually happens because the experiences that we have, whether it's through our eyes when we see, or ears, or maybe we touch something through those senses, they trigger activity in the receptors in our sensory organs. Our eyes or our ears, and that triggers then activity in neurons which are deeper into the brain, and that signal passes into the brain, and the activity which is triggered in those neurons that's what's responsible for changing the synaptic connections between neurons, and the synaptic connections changing is what then leads to the overall circuit change, and hence the overall plasticity. Wow! Oh, so. Here we're looking at, you know,、um, uh, the effects of.、Uh, so, how is it exactly that the brain customizes itself in response to experiences, and、uh, we can deduce that there is a role for attention here, and representation from our surrounding environment. I mean,、um, how, what role does really selective at-、uh, attention play here, and in,、uh, in the way it influences、yeah. these factors? Yeah, attention is a really interesting topic and something that we're、uh, trying to actively study in, in my lab as well, because attention is really important、yes. for plasticity and for particularly the plasticity underlying memory. And because we all know that when we're paying attention to something, it tends to、uh, leave a stronger. Influence on us.、Um, you know, if we're paying attention to a particular moment, then we will tend to have a stronger memory of that moment in future, and that memory is underpinned by some kind of plasticity in our brain.、Mm-hmm. And it's thought that、um, attention is something to do with the state of the brain, the overall state of the brain. And, and the way that we think about that is thinking about what we call、um, a series of. Processes in the brain called neuromodulators, neuromodulators,、oh, uh, neurotransmitters. So those are chemicals in the brain which change the state of the brain, and in particular, they might put you in a state of heightened attention, or maybe euphoria, or maybe malaise. You know, there, or maybe tiredness. There may be lots of different brain states, and those can influence the way the brain is responding and the type of plasticity that it undergoes, and. The way it does that is really interesting because those neuromodulators, for example, acetylcholine or、mm-hmm. serotonin, ones that people may have heard of, of are you know flooding across the brain 
doing changing the whole brain state, but they're also having really small effects, tiny specific effects on specific synapses. And as I said to you, the synapses are what's changing in that neuroplasticity um, moment. And so by altering the way that plasticity can engage with synapses, those neuromodulators are able to change the outcomes. So that way, these uh, attention-related neuromodulators are able to alter the way our synapses undergo plasticity and therefore maybe heighten or even dampen the plasticity that could happen at that moment. Interesting. So it's technically here all about, you know, cortical processing and forebrain specialization, but we're talking about it from um, like in, from an from the context of its neural underpinnings, I guess. It's that's what underlies these specializations. Did I get that right? That That's right. And I mean, it, of course, it, when people measure uh, brain activity mm. at the level of brain regions like frontal regions or or perhaps visual regions in response to to something we might see then you can measure activity on that large scale but underneath that it's all the neurons which are undergoing the activity and they're what those are what are summing up uh, adding up their activity to give you that overall picture and interestingly you know plasticity has been shown to not just happen in these cortical regions. Of course, it's really important in those cortical regions for plasticity, particularly for the way humans undergo plasticity because of the, the big growth of the cortex in, in humans. But, you know, plasticity can happen at other synapses, which are subcortical and in other parts of the brain. So plasticity seems to be a fundamental feature of the way that neurons interact with each other across their lifespan. Wow. And so, you know, um, we spoke, we touched on attention, selective representation. Um, I wanted to know what, what role does plastic, like neuroplasticity play in, you know, um, creating us, us as unique individuals, as unique specialists in what we do, you as a researcher, an artist, as a musician, as an artist, what is it, what role does it play in carving out our many skills and abilities throughout our lifespan? Yeah, this is this is really interesting for me because it touches right on the area that I'm very interested in, in my research, oh, and, and that's about uh, particularly because it, it focuses on the question of what happens to our brains as we as they grow, as they mature, mm. because that's a very very influential period in the in our lives, which kind of turns us into the people, the adults that we are. Yes. So when the brain is very young, it, it is extremely sensitive to undergoing plasticity. And indeed, there are huge changes in the young brain, uh, in children and in, and in young animals, which are, you know, really dramatic. They are, there are more changes, faster changes in the young brain, in the, in the child brain, than there are at any other time during life. Oh, can I and answer? So there, um, this, this means that there's a lot of uh, growth, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, the brain grows, but actually only up to the age of about seven or eight, mm -hmm. probably in terms of size. But the synaptic change and the neural uh, cells in the brain are changing right the way through our childhood. And those uh, connections between those cells, those synapses are really changing a lot. In fact, there's, you know, dramatic addition of synapses followed by what we call a pruning of synapses where right. we trim away the synapses that we don't need uh, which happens during adolescence sort of 
in the early stages of moving into adulthood. And the the key thing with all this synaptic changes is that it very much links to this plasticity idea. Of course, synaptic change, as I've said, is underpins synaptic plasticity, underpins synaptic plasticity, and hence neuroplasticity. But uh, we can also know that that there are periods during early life where they're extremely sensitive to undergoing neuroplasticity, which is triggered by our experiences. And those periods are called critical periods. And there are critical periods during early life where the experiences we have really shape the circuits that we are going to keep for the rest of our lives. Mm. And they're extremely sensitive. So you you mentioned the musician. You know, it's thought that there's a really a critical period early in our lives for uh, for our auditory system to learn the, to recognize different notes uh, on the musical scale. So it's, and is there a, p- a specific period where as if someone wants their child to acquire a certain musical ability, they should start by then? Well, that's that's certainly one of the ideas. And sometimes critical periods get, uh, get this idea or uh, put across with this idea that if you don't do if you don't do your training in that period, then then that's it. You're not going to be able to, to learn. But of course, that's that's not true. We can go through plasticity all the way through our lives. And if I wanted to learn the piano, which I can't do right now, I could try <laughs> even though I'm an adult. Now, the interesting thing is that I would probably find it more challenging as an adult than I did, I would have if I'd started as a child. And that's because those skills, which are being controlled by neuroplasticity in my brain, the skills of learning to play the piano and recognize the music, those things uh, are much easier to embed in my brain if I did them inside that critical period. So it's uh, a period when you have a unique really unique ability to undergo sort of this these or drive these changes in your brain and critical periods you know uh, you can apply critical periods to almost any aspect of experience or brain uh, function that you might like and they might be slightly different for different things um you know so maybe there's a different window of opportunity in terms of development for say learning the piano than there is for say learning to write for example all right so what 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 i can get from here is that most of the research has shown that when we're young the brain is very plastic hence the critical period but we seem to have less control over our you know experiences meanwhile when we're older we generally have more control over our experiences but our brains are less plastic in a way so touching on age how is there are there different mechanisms to engage plasticity as an adult Yeah, this is an interesting concept, and I think that there are lots of um, lots of methods where people have tried different aspects of things like that you might call brain training or something like that, brain right? Training. Where yes. there are ways in which to try and engage your brain. Mm. Now, our understanding of the sort of cellular and synaptic mechanisms, which really underpin that plasticity, mm. they they really suggest to us that there's something special about those critical periods which allow the plasticity to happen and that probably it's difficult to open up that um that aspect of that cellular mechanisms that aspect of cellular function mm. to allow you to undergo plasticity again however you can promote learning and you mm. can promote 
um, the ability to uh, learn new skills with things like attention and um, those mechanisms. Now that may not be working exactly the same way as that developmental neuroplasticity, critical period associated plasticity, but there are ways to try and to try and um, influence that learning ability. And in, in, indeed, in um, you know the, there are some uh, interesting ways in which in experimental animals, mm. critical periods have been manipulated to allow them to open again in adulthood. How are they and manipulated? So, sorry, say that again. How are they manipulated exactly? So one interesting study, there's been a number of ways, perhaps some, some are drugs, uh, some are molecular or genetic in, interventions into experimental animals. Um, one interesting way is to do with a specific type of cells that we have in our brain, particularly uh, a specific type of, of neurons, which are called inhibitory neurons. And they, they control the activity of the brain. They, they stop the brain going into a sort of runaway, uh, excitable mode. And, but they also have, they have key control over some of the synaptic plasticity um, mechanisms, which we've been talking about. And there's an, uh, some interesting studies which have been done in experimental animals where young interneurons, which are taken, inhibitory neurons, which are taken uh, uh, from a young brain are transplanted actually into an older brain uh, of an older animal. And that that transplant allows them to grow and form connections inside the brain. Yeah. And those connections actually not only get integrated into the adult brain, mm. but they also then open up that critical period for uh, plasticity that was previously closed to that adult brain. So it's almost like they have a kind of almost rejuvenating uh, factor that they're able to bring in terms of neuroplasticity anyway. Well, that's quite fascinating. Um, I mean, it, it seems that you're hinting here at the fact that regardless of whether you're a young person or an adult, you know, knowing how to tap into these plasticity, plasticity mechanisms is very, very powerful. And um, I mean, uh, it's, it's become very evident that we do need to deploy certain actions in the nervous system to mark whatever nerve cells happen to be firing and causing these changes. Now, um, you know, um, we touched on some lab work and how there are certain, you know, um, neuropharmacological findings and uh, discoveries that have helped open up this critical period at certain levels. Now, can I ask a question that um, many people, you know, including myself, are obsessed with asking? Um, and it's, um, you know, what external factors such as supplements or lifestyle factors can affect neuroplasticity? So outside the lab. So in terms of uh, supplements or, or sometimes um, pharmacological uh, drugs, which, which might influence plasticity, there are, are clearly some drugs which will influence the mechanisms for synaptic plasticity and um, you know there's evidence for example of um, things which have been in the news recently like psychedelics for example which yes. are really able to uh, seem to be able to tap into some of those plasticity mechanisms and alter them mm. we really uh, don't yet have a full understanding of what they do I think it's safe to say that some psychedelics for example uh, will 
uh, certainly change the way that your brain will undergo plasticity. But I don't think we have a full understanding of of how that how they actually drive those mechanisms, and therefore we don't have a really good understanding of how you might use them in a very controlled way to do to do that. So the effects might be a bit uncertain. And and, and as for supplements, you know. There's certainly a lot of evidence that if you can keep your brain in a kind of healthy state, I guess we might call it, then it will be beneficial for the the neurons which are in there and therefore the the plasticity that those neurons uh, underpin. And so, you know, I think there are there are very uh, broad things that those supplements, the supplements which, for example, you know, uh, can um, provide a, a good energy supply for your brain, for example, those, there's good evidence that those putting your brain in that state will be beneficial for brain function as a whole. And plasticity is part of brain function, so it will probably be beneficial for plasticity. Now, the precise effect that it might have on plasticity, would it, you know, enhance it or maybe decrease it, you know, that's more difficult to to be certain about. And of course, you know, neurons and synapses in your brain are, you know, there are trillions and trillions of them. And they're not all undergoing plasticity at the same time. In fact, you know, some neurons in one part of your brain might be going undergoing one form of plasticity, where at exactly the same time, other neurons in another part of your brain might be undergoing a different form of plasticity. Of course. So, one supplement which affects the brain as a whole may have different effects in different places definitely future research um awaits and um i've got all my hopes depending on it um i've I've heard a lot about 5-ht um supplements uh what what do you think of that yeah i think you know 5-ht is a chemical that we we find in the brain it's a it's a neurotransmitter and it's been linked uh particularly um, particularly in the in the broader sense, it's been linked to um, processes such as reward and uh, feeling good. You know, uh, it's um, a mechanism which is linked to treatment of some um, some depression disorders, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, now, your brain produces serotonin itself, the 5-HT, and so the you know. The idea of a supplement may you may be able to influence the uh, the levels perhaps of of 5-HT in the brain, but the brain does this in a kind of con- very controlled way, and it may be that, as I said before, the 5-HT in one part of your brain is doing a slightly different job from in another part of the brain. So the idea of a simple boosting or reduction in levels particularly for you know the normal healthy functioning brain it is is a rather um uncontrolled one i i think it will be very difficult to get very specific effects out of a supplement which is so uh so applied so generally to the brain um and that's we see that a little bit with treatments which have, which are used on patients who um who have some of these um, for example, um, depressive disorders, yes. that the 
response to treatment is is not very very predictable for every single person you know each person will have a slightly different um response to to treatments even in a situation where you know the, there's clearly something which is not quite right with the brain and it needs it needs help in in um in restoring its natural balance so i think you know i think those kind of blanket supplement ideas um may have some value but i think it will be very very difficult to predict how it will work in different people and very difficult to predict how it work how it would influence neuroplasticity in of different parts of the brain interesting so it seems that these supplements are just a bandage and they're not um they're not they're not there hasn't been yet like sufficient research to prove how efficient they are in a way because they can affect different uh different parts of the brain differently i guess i maybe we can you know would we be able to stick to the uh to the conclusion that you know a healthy lifestyle in general so maybe regular exercise a correct you know sleep hygiene and maybe a healthy diet can positively affect our cognitive reserves and hence neuroplasticity yeah i think i think almost certainly uh, particularly as we get older and our mm-hmm. brain is um growing with us or, or aging with us um yes. you know our, our neurons we don't tend to re- renew our neurons so the ones we have and um, uh, when we're born and uh, are pretty much what we've got with got for the rest of our lives so we do need to look after them um that's that's uh, unusual for most organs in the body which have some kind of renewal going on whereas the brain doesn't uh, well in very limited aspects it, perhaps it does but yeah. you know so i think healthy lifestyle promoting brain health is definitely something that we should all be doing Amazing. and it will come to help us when we get to old age for sure i think in terms of neuroplasticity you know one of the things that we could think about doing because neuroplasticity relies on the activity which is driven by experiences then reinforcing those experiences keep yourself learning keep doing those things where you want to retain those skills you know um uh, for example if you learn a language you know learn a new language keep practicing that language and we all know it will be easier to retain right yes. that's a good example where you can you can really influence the plasticity that's happening inside your brain by taking active steps to to change the experiences that are coming into it all right amazing so we can come to conclude that you know our environment has um has, has a huge effect on our neuroplasticity maybe and this extends to our contemporary culture uh, even some various supplements and drugs that um uh, our brains are challenged with um but what i find quite fascinating is the way how this all leads up to the wonderful differentiation that makes me stand out and makes you stand out in a way where no two of us are quite alike um i i really i generally this is what fascinates me the most about neuroplasticity if um where do you see the future of this research heading towards really are there any future directions you would like to give yeah i think i, I think a crucial thing for us now that we understand about plasticity and particularly about critical periods early in life hmm. is to try to relate this to some of the brain disorders which we know are caused by problems that are happening early in life yes 
And so there are many disorders which we call neurodevelopmental disorders. Things like uh, autism and schizophrenia fall into the, that category. And you know, the, the, the neuro, neurological underpinnings of these diseases are happening when we're very young, yes. when those patients are very young. And that coincides with when their critical periods are. So there is a strong idea that we may be able to try to influence the neuroplasticity that's happening early in life to try to help the outcomes for patients with neurodevelopmental disorders. And by um, understanding the mechanisms that uh, are happening early in life and maybe the ones which are not happening properly in neurodevelopmental disorders, then we could try to uh, shape or control or adjust the neuroplasticity that's happening uh, in early in those neurodevelopmental disorders so that the symptoms which emerge are you know, either limited or actually even removed. So I guess we can say that there's <laughs> there's a there's a wide avenue for neuro for research in neurodegenerative diseases uh, to be looking into neuroplasticity. I mean, um, I find this quite interesting, especially because uh, very fond of translational neuroscience here. Um, and maybe I guess we need another episode to be diving deep into this. Uh, but thank you, Dr. Michael, honestly for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, and I'm highly grateful, you know, for being able to have you here on my show. Honestly, that was just tremendous. Great, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And for all you listeners out there, write down in the show notes below. I've provided a direct link to Dr. Michael's lab, as well as to some of his most recent publications. Now, do not forget to let me know what you think of this episode with a review or a comment wherever you find my podcast. I'll be talking to you very soon. And finally, thank you for your interest in science.